Good evening. Uh, welcome as we come um, to worship on this uh, Monday, Thursday. Um, it is uh, a privilege as we gather this week um, to walk up to the cross, um, to consider and to think about those stories of Easter that we've been doing so uh, over the last number of Sundays as well. Um, to think about the different characters that are involved in the Easter story, obviously primarily Jesus, but uh, all those other characters uh, as well. Um, so whether you join us in person or indeed online tonight, we warm you, uh, warm you. <laughs> so whether you join us online or in person tonight, we bid you a warm welcome uh, as we come to worship. Um, sometimes whenever we come to worship, we may feel, have feelings of inadequacy uh, or maybe we feel that we're unable um, we're unable or unworthy, if you like, um, to come before a holy or a mighty God. Maybe we feel that sometimes we're unworthy uh, or uh, inadequate whenever we feel that God is speaking to us and who am I to step up to or step into uh, that situation. Uh, we open tonight uh, with some verses from Exodus uh, chapter 3. Uh, this is a conversation between Moses uh, and God as Moses is being called by God. And so Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And, and that's a part of the phrase where we get that phrase, the great I am. Um, in that, what God is saying is, whenever he says I am, he, he doesn't finish it with any of those other descriptive words we might have of God. He simply says I am because he is everything and nothing else is needed in that moment when, Pharaoh, when Moses stands before Pharaoh. And I suppose as we come before God tonight in our worship, in our setting time aside tonight, as we draw around his table to remember his life, his death, and his resurrection, we come in the knowledge that he is everything that we need. He is the great I am. And he wants to step into our situation tonight. Uh, our passage of scripture tonight comes uh, from the Gospel of John, um, chapter 18, and begins at verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who was betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing that all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. 
Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? <clears throat> These characters in a story, as we said over the last number of Sundays, every, in a sense every good story has a character and it has an individual, a person in it who uh, the story kind of evolves around. Uh, we know Jesus is the central character uh, of the story uh, of Easter. We've looked at a few over the last number of weeks. We looked at Mary, how she had pondered his birth, uh, wept at his death and rejoiced at his resurrection. Uh, we looked at Thomas, uh, often given, um, maybe that dubious name of being the eternal doubter, um, the one uh, who was doubting Thomas, but yet faith had won through. Uh, on Sunday past, we looked at the crowd uh, that gathered on Palm Sunday, and alluding to the crowd that we gathered on Good Friday. But we saw on Sunday that Often whenever we find ourselves in a crowd, the decisions that we make and to ensure that we are not swayed by a crowd, those decisions are made in the quietness of our own hearts and not in the noise of the moment. It's in the quietness of our own hearts and not in the noise of the moment that we draw a line in the sand. So whenever we're confronted with those things, we know what our decisions are going to be before we even get to them. <coughs> Tonight, we're looking at the character of Judah. He's often portrayed as the betrayer. Um, actually, that's what it says. Um, uh, verse, verse 5 says, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. He's described as a traitor. And often, actually, that's, we would use that phrase with people who we think have betrayed us, wouldn't we? Your man's a right Judas. <laughs> or she did a right Judas on me. Or... Uh, and so the same as Thomas became synonymous with doubt, synonymous with doubting, Judas has become synonymous with betrayal. But yet Judas had been a very faithful disciple. And um, this is the moment where we see Judas in his betrayal moment. But up until that point, Judas is the one. Judas is one of the disciples who have followed Jesus, who have walked alongside him, who have gathered and watched his miracles, who have seen everything that he has been capable of doing for the last at least three years. We also know that Judas had the responsibility of holding the purse strings. Um, he was the treasurer uh, of the group. Uh, he's the one who held the money, who released the money. Um, and you can imagine Judas being the one that whenever Jesus was on the hillside uh, wanting to feed the 5,000, you can imagine all the other disciples looking at Judas and going, do we have enough money? Tell us what's in the account, Judas. What's in your wee bag, Judas? And we'll see what we can do with it. So there's a sense that maybe even all the way through this journey, Judas might have been one of the disciples that others would have looked to for answers. Uh, can we get this? Can we do that? Do we have enough money for this or that? But yet, we also know that Judas in the recent days, well, actually, look at a bigger picture, in the recent days in the run-up to this part of the story, there's been a lot of jostling for attention uh, and positions within the disciples. James and John have argued about who is the greatest. Simon Peter says that he's never going to deny Jesus. Uh, he, he, in fact, he's going to die for Jesus. Then the three of them are, are chosen to follow Jesus much closer to the garden and sit with Jesus. Now, if Judas had been one that was looked to to answer questions, was looked to as the holder of the money, maybe there was a little bit of power in there, if you like, and in this moment, could Judas, in these last few days, could Judas have been, been tempted 
away in the sense that he was feeling a little bit left out, that his power was diminishing. Maybe there was a sense of him wanting to reestablish that he was top dog. I'm the one that holds the money. I'm the one that can call the shots. Because we know that power and influence are very strong motivators for our words and our actions, aren't they? And we can see that uh, played out in the world around us. Power and influence are strong motivators for actions. And I'm not going to comment on any of the political dealings that's happening uh, across the water uh, at the moment for doctrines of positions and making sure and all of that stuff. But there's a lot of power and influence has an effect on the things that we do and say. But like Sunday past, if we looked at the crowd, we know that the decisions that we make The line in the sand that we draw is often already made before we get to the noise of the moment. Because if we wait until the noise of the moment, we can fall. We can be led astray. We can go a different way from where we want to go to, be swayed, be carried by the crowd around us. Judas, in one sense, has allowed his material desires to lead his thinking and then his actions Verse 2 of that chapter says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. It shows you the intimacy that Judas had in that disciple group. The intimacy that he had with Jesus, that he would know the inner workings of the group, the place that Jesus might want to withdraw to whenever he was feeling the pressure of what was to come. So Judas came to the grove guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees they were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. (coughs) Now we often read that, we kind of skip over it uh, because it says Judas came to the grove getting a detachment of soldiers, some officials, chief priests and Pharisees. Um, Chief priests and Pharisees, we we can almost imagine them there. Some officials we can imagine because there's going to be a legal entity to this and so, you know, we... We too want it done right. But this detachment of soldiers, I wonder what image you have in your head for a detachment of Roman soldiers. Estimated to be between 300 and 500 men. Not a lot of people. Not a lot, a lot of people, right? And who's leading them? Judas. All of a sudden, the power and the influence that maybe he was craving is being played out in front of him. He is now leading a detachment of soldiers, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the officials. Could have been up to 500 people. And Judas is at the head showing them the way where to go. And you can imagine those sweet nothings that's being whispered in his ear as he went, you're a great guy, Judas. You're doing a great job, Judas. And Judas is jingling the purse with the money in it uh, as well. His emotional needs were being met. But in the wrong place. He was searching for fulfillment in the wrong place. And whenever we search for fulfillment in the wrong place, it leads to insecurity (coughs) and frustration. Because what happens next in verse 4, it says this, Jesus, knowing that all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and asked the question first. He didn't wait. Jesus did not wait 
whether the soldiers or the officials or the chief priests, or indeed for Judas to show who it was he'd come for, or to ask the question of where is Jesus. Jesus steps forward into the situation and he says, who is it that you are looking for? Who is it that you want? Even though he knew what was about to happen whenever he did that, that shows us the sovereignty of God. He's still in control even when it appears that he is the weak one in the situation. Verses, what, what happens after that? Verse 5. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. So Jesus says, who is it you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. Where does that resonate? Resonates with the passage that we opened with tonight. Whenever Moses is sent to Pharaoh, and who is it that's sending me? Whenever Pharaoh questions me, who am I to say? And God says, simply say, I am. I am. Because I am everything. And so whenever they say, Jesus says, who do you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And then what happens? Verse 6, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's 500 men fall to the ground. Now they're clad in Roman soldiers, spears, shields, helmets, uh, tunics, breastplates. What a noise. All of that falls to the ground, clamors. And the noise in that moment must have been horrendous. And all because Jesus says, I am he. Because Jesus knows whenever we declare his presence in our situation, the things around us can fall away. But it's more than that. It's the resonance of pulling that all the way out. And you, can, you know that the disciples who were standing around him, the chief priests, the Pharisees, would have known whenever Jesus said, I am he, that he was calling those moments from the Torah out into the present. I often talk about calling God's past faithfulness into our present situation. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. God's past faithfulness of leading his people into the moment where Jesus, the Son of God, would give his life for all people. If only Judas, having seen all that Jesus had done, all of those miracles, all of that journey they had with him, if only Judas had looked in the right place, for his fulfillment, if he had looked in Jesus, the speaking of Jesus' name, because that's where the power is. And so Jesus says, who, who have you come for? Uh, uh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. I, I am he. Jesus says, and then they all fall down. Uh, and then what does Jesus say? Who is it you want? I, I, the image in my head is that moment where they've all fallen down and Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, and so who is it that you want? He's still standing. He's the one who carries the power and the one who everybody else must submit to. He is powerful, he is sovereign, and he is all-fulfilling. 
And so the question for us preachers tonight is this. Who are we turning to to be fulfilled? What are we turning to to be fulfilled? Because often we will answer those questions in, in different ways. We will say that we are turning to our politicians to heal our economic situation. We are turning uh, to a doctor or a nurse. We are turn- and all of those things are good and right. Who are we turning to to seek our fulfillment? Are we turning to someone else? Are we turning to something else? We know that we can fill a void of fulfillment with lots of other things, whether that's some level of an addiction, whether that's alcohol or gambling or, or whatever it might be. Sometimes we could even fill that sense of fulfillment and purpose with a level of gossip or maligning of people. How are we, how are we filling that void in our lives? Because if Jesus stands before us and says that he is the great I am, then why would we not think on him? Act on him. Believe in him. Allow him to do his sovereign will in our situation. Finish tonight with those words from uh, John chapter 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you are? Jesus of Nazareth replied, I am he, Jesus said. And when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Give me the power and the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May his power and his blessing rest upon each one of us this night and forevermore. Amen. Amen.